the Buddha taught that the noblest kind of search that a human being can undertake is the search for truth, for Dhamma. More common is the search for worldly success, happiness, gain, material gain, fame, fortune, and different pleasant experiences. And the Buddha pointed out that doesn't lead to any lasting peace or happiness for human beings. He was speaking from his own deep insight into the nature of reality. One who had clearly seen the nature of this world as anicca dukkha anatta, impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. So he's under no delusion about this. On the night of his enlightenment, he had already gained deep insight into the knowledge of his previous existences, the endless nature of samsara, endless round of birth and death, different lives, existences. Pupeniwasanu Satyana. Also, insight into the way beings are the owners of their karma, heirs of their karma, abide supported by their karma, and so on. And beings arise and pass away according to karma in different realms of existence. He's sure about from his own reflection, his own observation, and then deep insight into the nature of these more broader truths. You could see that the way of the world and accumulating wealth and happiness in the world doesn't lead to anything lasting. in no doubt about that. So he carried on his noble search, investigating the nature of existence, phenomena, came to understand that as long as we have ignorance and delusion conditioning the mind, and it will keep falling into dhanha, craving, upadana, attachment. And this whole cycle of birth and death continues.
but by freeing his mind from the effects of avicca, penetrating the true nature of existence, abandoning craving attachment, and realizing the Four Noble Truths, then he liberated his mind from that cycle. So he developed the Asawakaya Yana, the knowledge of the ending of the Asawa, Asawa Kilesa, the effluence or the outflows of the mind, and the Kilesa, the mental defilements rooted in greed, hatred, delusion, uprooted these from the mind. So for the Buddha, after that, there's no more doubt about what is suffering, its cause. No doubt about the cessation of suffering and the cause for that, which is the path. Because he developed, realized, penetrated these Four Noble Truths and his mind was beyond doubt. is aware that it was not an easy thing to teach because people have so so much invested attachment to the world covering over their minds. He wasn't certain that there would be those who would understand the depth of this truth. He said most people are just happy to delight in the world, take delight in the world always looking for new experiences and trying to find happiness through their eyes, their ears, their tongue, their nose, their body and the mind itself. Delighting in the world, not ready to give up this attachment, the desire and the attachment for the world. But nevertheless, our good fortune he did begin to teach and there were those who had enough of the good qualities that they could receive the teachings and also understand, penetrate them in his footsteps right down to the present age with Lumpur Man, Lumpur Cha. We have our good fortune that there are those beings who have lived recently, who have penetrated these same Four Noble Truths and continue to teach this path to human beings. There's a path that's not dependent on age or gender or class or race or any of these more superficial things that differentiate human beings. It's based on whether there's avicca, ignorance, conditioning the mind, or there's the path factors conditioning the mind, sila, samadhi, impanya, mindfulness and wisdom and so on. These qualities do not belong to anybody or 
are not attributed to one particular person or other. They're just qualities of mind that can be developed for those who are fortunate to hear the Dhamma and appreciate its depth and importance and give value to it. So our practice here is about reflecting on these truths and developing the path. And following in the footsteps of our teachers and all those who practice right back to the Buddha. So it means we have to have <clears throat> a certain amount of patience and willingness to practice because of our past conditioning. Always thinking that the way to happiness is to build up more experiences in the world, seek more wealth, more security, more happiness in material things and following the senses. We have to retrain and recondition the mind to incline more towards Dhamma and to develop the path factors. And this, in the terms of Dhamma, this is what is what determines somebody who is mature in the Dhamma isn't necessarily their age or how long they've been practicing. It's how mature their spiritual faculties are, their faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, five faculties. So even a potentially a seven-year-old child could have very mature spiritual faculties, like in the time of the Buddha, even some very young children had practiced for so many lifetimes that they just hearing the Dhamma, reflecting on the Dhamma, their, the maturity of their faculties was such that they already may attain one of the levels of enlightenment at seven years old. So the practice is about coming back to the the path, the Eightfold Path, Sila Samadhi Panya, and developing that, living within the bounds of Sila and Dhamma. They sometimes say it's a practice of Sila Dhamma. So anyone, whether monastic or laity, we're learning to restrain the worst effects of greed, hatred and delusion by developing sila, the five precepts. Just learning to practice with the precepts, get used to them, familiar with them and appreciate the refinement of mind that 
practicing with them brings. And when we begin the practice, there's a lot of coarse kilesas that come out in our behavior, our actions, our speech, and our mind states. If we appreciate the effect of the five precepts or sila in general, what's it doing? It's learning to calm the mind and calm down some of the more extreme behavior, mental behavior, verbal or physical behavior that we previously have fallen into that brings a lot of harm and trouble to ourselves or to others. Learning to compose the mind, calm it down, using the precepts as a reflection, as a guideline on a daily basis. And then to bring the mind to the Dhamma over and over again, bringing up mindfulness to cut through the normal habit of always following mental proliferation and getting caught into the more superficial appearance of the world. What we call samuti satcha, the appearance the conventional reality that we constantly build up by interpreting our experience from the point of view of self, belief and view of self, conditioned by greed, anger and delusion in different forms. We have to learn how to develop mindfulness regularly, over and over again, bring the mind back to cut through this habit. You notice when you are practicing mindfulness, at the times when we lose mindfulness, the mind is off, it's almost like we're living in a dream world, created by our own views, opinions, moods, preferences. It's almost like an imaginary world when there's no mindfulness and no wisdom there. We get used to it, so we actually like it often. It's difficult to pull the mind back from that habit, of always creating, imagining, fashioning and fabricating. Yeah, we love it, even though half of the time it's very unwholesome, negative, and leading to more suffering, more craving and attachment, and more suffering. We're just so used to it that very difficult to pull the mind back. So often the practice of mindfulness is quite, requires some effort, some patient effort. We have to keep a, reflecting on why we do it. Why do we pull our mind back from the dream world of superficial conventional reality. Why do we do that? Because that's not true, it's not nothing real or substantial. And the way we can f find or seek and find truth is through the development of mindfulness and wisdom. Training to not let the mind just fall into its dream states and moods and imagination.
the mindfulness with the precepts is the beginning of that path. Gives you some guidelines, rules to follow that help you be mindful, become mindful, become aware of your speech, your actions, flowing back to the mind, our intentions, volitions. And then the development of meditation, mindfulness in action, mindfulness of the breath, the posture, Bhutto, over and over again. It's waking the mind up or sobering it up out of its state of intoxication. Back, back to the reality of Dhamma, the way things are. And when mindfulness is established, then we have a chance to see truth, see the impermanence of Nama Rupa, body and mind, physical form, mentality. Through training in this, that brings the mind to break through its habit of delusion and imagination and being caught up in, the, in that level, breaks through that. In the, the habit of the mind to always interpret experience as self, me, mine, myself, my possessions, my relationships, my family, my friends, my world, my country, my this, my that, everything. It's cutting through that. The Buddha called it the, the path to the deathless, that which doesn't get born and die, isn't caught into the cycle of ignorance, conditioning, craving and attachment. There's something outside of that or goes beyond that, transcends that through the development of mindfulness and wisdom. phrase about the deathless came about through the life of Samawadi, that lady in the time of the Buddha, one of the kings, one of the queens of the king Udena. Being very beautiful, he had taken her into the palace as his queen, but she had great faith in the Buddha. Being very possessive as a king, he wouldn't let her out to meet the Buddha. So very smart, she sent her servant off to listen to the Buddha, then come back and tell her the Dhamma that the Buddha was giving. Little by little, hearing the Dhamma, came to understand the Dhamma, became a Sodapana, practicing what the Buddha taught, keeping the precepts, developing mindfulness, reflecting on the impermanent, unsatisfactory nature of phenomena, 
became a sodapanna living in the palace. So very mindful and foremost in practice of metta, great kindness, great firmness, one-pointedness of mind in the practice of the Brahma Viharas. As things, as it happens, everyone has their karma. So she had a rival in the palace, Magantia. Another beautiful lady who had been taken previously by the king, but then sort of lost interest in her as he took up interest in Samawadi. Magantia, not so well developed in Sila and Dhamma. She actually had a great grudge against the Buddha. When she was young, she was the most beautiful girl in the town. And the parents thought, what can we do with our beautiful daughter? We should find a suitable person to take her, marry her. We should give her away. But they, all the suitors, all the young men, even the most wealthy, influential men in the town they didn't think suited her so they wanted to give her to the Buddha they invited the Buddha to their house brought the, be the beautiful daughter out and said we want to give her to you and the Buddha in his insight knew the parents were ripe to understand and penetrate Dhamma but the daughter wasn't but the Buddha's function or role is to teach people to see the Dhamma. So on that occasion, he still taught the Dhamma even though he knew it would bring a bad reaction in the daughter. Why should I receive your daughter or take interest and delight in your daughter when her body is foul? It's a supa. It's anicca dukkha anatta and it's a super, it's foul, unattractive, like a corpse. They gave a talk on the unattractiveness of the body and the parents following it with their wisdom became anagamis, completely transcended their attachment to their own bodies. Samadhi arose, insight arose. But the daughter went the opposite way, got very upset, very angry, formed a grudge against the Buddha because she was still so attached to her beauty, didn't understand the Dhamma he was teaching. Ever since that time she'd been very angry with the Buddha, didn't listen to Dhamma, didn't respect the Dhamma. When Samawadi was in the palace, he was very jealous of her. Samawadi had faith in the Buddha, Margantia didn't. So Margantia is always trying to get Samawadi turn the king Udena against her through rumors and gossip, setting up situations to try and implicate Samawadi as somebody who was bad out to kill the king. When the king was out in the park, she a very poisonous snake and hid it in his loot 
when he was asleep, when he woke up, the snake was coming out of the loop. He was with Samawadi at the time. Samagantiya sent the rumor around. Uh, Samawadi's trying to assassinate the king for her own ends. The king got so angry, he actually believed it for a while, and drew his bow and arrow out and fired an arrow at Samawadi in anger. Samawadi so firm, one-pointed in her practice, keeping the precepts, meditating, mindful. No anger would overcome her. So she had just met her for her husband, even though he was about to kill her. So as the arrow was fired, they said the arrow didn't penetrate her skin through the power of her one-pointedness of metta, just dropped at her feet, turned into a flower. Nevertheless, the situation with Margantia continued for a long time until eventually she set fire one day to the palace where all the, all the ladies, Samawadi and all her servants and attendants were staying. As the fire spread, Samawadi knew that they wouldn't be able to escape, but she wasn't afraid, and she had mindfulness. She knew that life is impermanent, this body is impermanent. She maintained her composure and actually attained Sakatagami. Yes, the buildings were burning down and all her attendants attained Sodapana, so they're all enlightened. They're all burnt, died in the fire, but they all died in various stages of enlightenment. They say that was the karma Samawadi in many previous lifetimes before she had been a, also been a queen. Gone to the river to bathe with her attendants and they'd set up a bonfire, I guess to warm and dry their clothes and warm themselves after the bathing. And they built a bonfire she had a bonfire built in a thicket where a Pacheka Buddha was meditating. He was the teacher of her husband, the king. They didn't realize he was there. It wasn't a deliberate act. They set fire to all the bushes and to make a fire. And then they realized that the Pacheka Buddha was there getting burnt. Pacheka Buddha was in Neroda. Samapati, so he's unharmed. But he was getting burnt by the fire, and Samawadi was so scared her husband would kill her for having burnt his teacher. Instead of getting the teacher out of the fire, they built the fire up more and actually burnt him to death. That karma followed her for many, many lifetimes. She was born, reborn in hell for many lifetimes. Eventually it came to this final life. So she died in a fire, even though she was already Sakadagami. She's reborn in heaven. Udena eventually found out Margantia had caused this fire. So he had her killed and all her relatives killed and ploughed their bones into the field. 
so upset. This is somebody who practices mindfulness leading to the deathless, completely focused, composed, one-pointed, seeing all phenomena, nama and rupa, sanicca, dukkha, anatta, The tendency of our mind is always to go back to the world, think that happiness lies in the world, building up more experiences, more relationships, more wealth, going here, going there. That's our habit, it's been our habit over and over again for so many lifetimes. The only way to break that habit and break the cycle is establishing mindfulness and insight and learning to really pay attention to the truth and break through the dreamlike states that we're always falling into. Whether we're meditating, walking around, eating, working, whatever. Learning to pay attention, bring the mind back to the present moment the deathless. Why is it that we suffer and experience unhappiness in our hearts or discontent it's because when we the eyes see a form and the eyes experience a bring up experience that form and then the mind grasps at it because of the effect of craving attachment and we either get caught into liking desiring and wanting it or dislike, aversion, depending on our karmic conditioning, our attachments. All through our day this is going on, through all the senses, constantly reacting with attraction and aversion, building up the sense of self the fantasy, the imagination of self, the dream of self through these experiences. If we don't apply mindfulness, we don't recognize what's going on, then it just keeps reinforcing itself, keep grasping at things with the mind, building up hopes and expectations and plans and wants, constantly come into disappointment, discontent. Even when we experience different kinds of happiness, there's always the thought, maybe there's something more than this, better than this. And nobody needs to be told that different kinds of suffering, uh, stress and suffering are, are unhappiness. But even happiness, is not complete, it's not completely satisfying. 
happy experiences, pleasant experiences. We either want more from it or something better, go to a better level of happiness. Or even if we think this is really good, then we're worried that we'll lose it again. You see this in meditation. When you meditate, experience some happiness, we want to hold on to it as long as possible. Or say, oh, I want to go deeper than this, better than this. We have to keep looking back at our own mind, how desire comes up and takes over. We keep reflecting on the three characteristics, whatever our experience, and this is what cuts through that, that cycle, that habit, and brings the mind back to true reality. And from that we get peace, understanding. And changing this view that always grasps at things as a self, bringing back the mind back to seeing things just as they are. The body is just body, feelings just feelings, mind is just mind, Dhamma is just Dhamma. So we can carry on practicing for a bit longer till we hear the bell.